that we could write our own verse, a part of it is well with my soul. I think I told you one time a little boy came in and said, I love that song, it is swell with my soul. So either way, well or swell, it's good. I hope it's swell with your soul today. I wanted to mention this while I've got it on my on my mind because I looked up and saw Amy up here and Richard brought the money down and many of you know that they planning on moving and uh, they have sold their house and so uh, they'll probably be back another Sunday or so. Well, they've got to go back to Louisiana but anyway, could be their last Sunday with us on this round but y'all know where Gadsden's at so y'all may come back but anyway. You're singing next Sunday. She'll probably be here next Sunday. Never mind. Uh, I don't think Richard knew that but anyway, I'll let him know where he's at. Let's pray together just for a moment. Almighty God, we praise you this morning. We thank you again for your word. God, let your word fall on the good soil of the heart that there will be much fruit. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I read the scripture earlier that came out of the book of Matthew, and I made reference to the fact that Jesus talked about his own coming, the second coming. Over the last few weeks in our Bible study, we've talked a lot about that. And I've just had different people ask me about the second coming of Christ. And I always refer them to Matthew, the 24th chapter, because that's the most details that Jesus gave. Of course, if you read it, it's a three-part question. One was, and I'm making reference to this because of a prophecy that I'm about to read that Jesus gave. But he made hint of it in Matthew 24. And he said, not one stone would be left upon another. And so the disciples said, well, Lord, when will this be? When's this going to happen? And so he answered that, but they also said, tell us when these things will be, but what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So three questions, Matthew 24. And so I read what I think to be the most important thing Jesus said in Matthew 24, and that is, above all else, be ready. Therefore also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So we don't pick dates and times, but we look around us and, we can honestly say it's, it's closer than it's ever been. And I can say that safely tomorrow. But in the meantime, we need to keep praying and doing to get people to be ready. One of the scriptures that we've been looking at on Wednesday morning, Wednesday night in our journey group, we've been looking at the minor prophets, and right now we're on the book of Joel. And so Joel talks a lot about, he uses this phrase several times, the day of the Lord, which speaks of judgment. There will be a day of judgment. Twenty-five times the Bible uses that phrase, the day of the Lord. Not only in the Old Testament, Obadiah and uh, Isaiah and Ezekiel and, and Malachi and Joel, but also in the New Testament in Acts and First and Second Thessalonians and Second Peter. And it speaks about the day of the Lord. And Joel calls it a, a terrifying and terrible day, a day of judgment, the day of the Lord. And so we get a flare of that and we see that in the Scriptures. And we need to know that, that God is a... A God of love, He's a God of grace, but He is also a God of judgment. Uh, Tyler and I were sharing this week about these things, and he reminded me of a book called The Harbinger. Isn't that the name of it? There was a quote in there, and it, it said this, that God renders His judgment. God renders His judgment of a nation in perfect balance with His mercy. Thank God He does that. The scripture I'm going to share in just a moment comes from Luke, the 19th chapter. And I'm going to read it later on into the sermon, but I, but I want you to already be thinking about it. Sheila made reference to it to the children that Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem when he came in. And, and also he gave a startling prophecy of judgment. 
I've already shared today that we went on a Holy Holy Land trip with some of the folks that are sitting right here, and it was back in May, and we're about 36 of us all together, and we think 18 or so will be with us today and share together in lunch. Uh, in 2014, if you remember, there were brochures and flyers begin to go up around our church here and on the windows going into the office, so I saw it and I looked at it, and I, I really... I really never thought I would ever go to Israel. It would be okay if it happened, but I really didn't think it would, and I really wasn't planning toward that. Ken Casey and Peggy were hosting the trip through EO, Educational Opportunity Travels. And so, Ken, you've been two or three times, and he was going to host it, and, but uh, I never really thought I'd go to Israel. But I want to thank Kim Whit, who's on our PPR chair. He approached me back in 2014. He said, hey, you know, Ken's getting up the trip, and they're going to Israel. Why don't you go? And I said, well, I, uh, and he said, you ought to just go. You don't ever use your educational money. You ought to go and talk it over with Atlanta. Y'all just need to go on that trip. Well, that got in my mind. And so I, I got home that evening, and I was sharing with Atlanta. And, y'all, I didn't even get the sentence out good. Hey, you know the Holy Land? Yeah, let's go. And I said, well, you know the, the, the trip to Holy Land? Yeah, let's go. I said, well, Ken's home. Let's go. And, I mean, it was just this adamant, let's go. And so I said, all right, let's, let's go. I tried to make some excuses. She said, no, let's just do it. Let's just go. So thankful we went. So I want to share a few things with you this morning, and one in particular about a time there were a lot of tears that shed. And I, I was a lot more emotional over the trip than I ever thought I would be. Many of you will recall that Ken and Peggy, and I know Ken's sitting here, and I apologize. I know we never like to be talked about in the service, but Ken, I'm going to talk about you. But uh, he didn't get to go on the trip, and uh, that saddened me. In fact, when we left Princeton, we left the airport in Birmingham, I remember looking back out the window, and we'd already prayed for Ken and Peggy, and he was there in the hospital, in, in Princeton Hospital. He's doing great, obviously, praise the Lord. But I remember looking back toward Princeton and I breathed another prayer over Ken and his family because I felt kind of funny just leaving for two weeks. And uh, we didn't have access on our phones at that time. Eventually we did, and we heard that everything turned out good. Lana and I, along with 34 other passengers, and some of them are here, we arrived in Tel Aviv, Israel, May the 27th. The temperature was 104 degrees. I don't know why we wrote that in our notes, but y'all remember that. It was very hot, but it's a different kind of hot than it is here in Alabama. 95 hot here is a whole lot worse because of the humidity. We joined together and we met up. Now, most of them are connected to right here in the churches locally, some churches, about 20 of them. But we met up with a family from California. Most of them were from California, three daughters and their mother and other connections. And they were South Korean. And so I made a connection with them. I've told you I roomed with uh, Hong Ki Young in seminary. And so I learned a few Korean words, just enough to get me in trouble. So when I found out they were South Korean, you know, I... Oh, I wanted to impress them, you know. I say, oh, and you're like, oh, and I'm like, I don't, I don't. One of the daughters, uh, she's a pastor, United Methodist pastor in California. Went to Fuller Theological Seminary, and, and Elaine and I talked a lot about theology and the concern for our church, and uh, we shared some things. So you know how when you go on a trip and you connect with people, you have those good memories. There was another family from Ohio that was with us, the Schumachers. Mom and dad, and then their son, Jack, and then they had three children. So we had a college student, a high school student, and Gabriella. She was the youngest. She was 12 years old, and she was a delight to have on the trip. We all got to tease with her and learn from her. And she shared devotion. The kids did. 
Uh, we even sang some songs. Jerry down here at the uh, St. James Catholic Church, he and I sang a duet somewhere. I don't remember. What, there were a lot of tears. We don't know if they were crying because me and him singing, or, but it was a good trip. We had Methodists, we had Baptists, we had Catholics, we had independent churches, Pentecostal churches, heathen sinners. I mean, it was a good mix, and uh, it was a good time. I'm glad I went. Ken, before we departed, had already lined up that I could teach on a boat in the Sea of Galilee. That was pretty cool. So we were there in Tiberias for three days, and then, then we traveled on, and I want to talk about Jerusalem. We arrived in Jerusalem on May the 30th, and of, of course we stayed in the Olive Tree Hotel. You know, it would have to be named that, the Olive Tree, but I don't know why not the Campbell Suites or something. But We were in the Olive Tree Hotel. We stayed there the whole time, and then from there we departed by bus each day to go to the Dead Sea. It was pretty cool. Your pastor, I floated in the Dead Sea, and the buoyancy is it's unreal, the thick salt in there. We went to the place where John the Baptist uh, baptized Jesus. That was very moving. And I guess one of the most disturbing, but yet the most blessing, was Bethlehem. Bethlehem, as they would say to me. We got in there, and I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I was not expecting for the entire city to have an embankment around it, Bethlehem. And the barbed wire and the and the armed guards, and they got on our, on our bus, and they checked a few things and, and checked our passenger list and all of that. It just seemed uncomfortable. Then when you, you get inside and the city itself is, is sectioned off with Palestinian Christians here, and it's like you have to stay in your area and Pal- Palestinian Muslims, and you've got different Jewish sects that are, have their territory within Bethlehem. I, I didn't expect it to be like that. To me, that was kind of oppressive, but I, I got over that. And, and then there's that moment where you, you get to go where they believe that God was born on this earth as a human. Now, now granted, we, we may not have been in the exact same spot, but they, they believe it's near there. We know it was Bethlehem. And, and when you have that moment, when it's your chance to go up there, and because of the way the rock is, you, you have to kneel down. And that, that itself and uh, tears... Many of us had tears, and we sang Christmas songs there down the hallway. It was kind of cool. Good memories. Um, many times on the trip, I found myself and anybody that goes, you find yourself wondering if your feet, maybe you're laying right in the exact place where God stood, the Son of God, Jesus. And you, you couldn't, you could never quite get that out of your mind. I remember one time. I, when we were on the Sea of Galilee, I asked Mike, our guide, who could speak about four languages, great Christian brother. Um, he, uh, I asked him, I said, do you remember in John, the 21st chapter, where Jesus built the campfire and, and he asked the disciples, you know, to come and eat breakfast with him? And he asked, Simon Peter, do you love me? I said, do you know about where that spot is? And he said, yeah, we're going there tomorrow. And I remember there, Lana and I took off our shoes and I rolled up my breeches leg and we waded out in the Galilean Sea and I just kind of stood there and had a God moment because that was a part of God's call on my life. Harvey, do you love me? And Just, again, I'm wailing up with tears even thinking about it. Great experiences. One of the most moving experiences, though, I had revolved around the holy city of Jerusalem, what is known as the Western Wall. You've perhaps seen it on TV in a TV show. It's kind of the, there's no other Jewish shrine is holier 
than the western wall. It's often called the Wailing Wall because of so many tears. The remains of the ancient second temple compound make up the wall and the stones in that area. And so you're right there in that, that hub of all of those emotions and all the religions of the world. And they're saturated with centuries of prayers and tears right there in that spot. After the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, the city became off limits, we know, from the Jews for generations and generations. But the following scripture that I want to read to you is about the final descent, the final arrival of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. Most often it's preached around Palm Sunday because we, we, we know that Jesus entered in and people were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, and that's the scene. So Jesus is going down knowing He's going to go to the cross, knowing what's going to happen, that He's going to die for the people of that city and for the people of Gadsden. He, he knows He's going to die for the sins of the world. That was His mission. That's why He came. And yet He has this moment when He comes into the city, and this is the text in Luke 19. And this is what He says. Now as He drew near, He saw the city, and He wept over it. In my mind, I try to picture that, and... I don't know if he, he wept out loud enough. Maybe he was shaking. I don't know. Maybe tears. But I don't know how many around saw him, but it says he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden. They're hidden from your eyes. And then he gives this prophecy of judgment. He says, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and they will surround you and they will close you in on every side and they will level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Then he gives the reason why. He said, because you did not know the time of your visitation. He's just wept over the city and all these emotions. And then he gives this blood-curdling prophecy. Jesus' prophecy, by the way, the scholars tell us, was fulfilled in the summer of A.D. 70. So about almost 40 years after he gave the prophecy. The Romans did, in fact, surround the city and they leveled it to the ground. They reduced the building to this smoldering ruin. Many, many forms of occupation and plundering have occurred over the 2,000 years. And even when access was gained, Jews avoided entering the Temple Mount out of fear of trespassing on the most sacred and thus forbidden areas of the ancient sanctuary. With time, a part of the remnants of that period kind of took on an aura of the Temple itself making the western wall kind of a holy place just because of the proximity. Now, keep this in mind that God is always looking at Israel. Just to remind you that Israel became a nation in 1948, which gave them more access than they'd had in all this time. This is in some of your lifetime, 1948. And then in 1967, even more religious rites within the city of Jerusalem It happened with that miraculous six-day war. You can go back and read the history on it. Miraculously, that they retained more 
authority and rights in the city itself. That was in 1967 and the Western Wall now, over these last 50, 60 years, millions of Jews pilgrimage back to that wall. And millions and millions of Christians. And I got to be one of them. And it impacted me and had greater impact on me than I really thought it would. When you get there, it's separated. And you can look at this online and, and they, they put the men on the left side and the women go on the right side. And, and you look and again, the military presence and uh, surveillance cameras everywhere. And, and then you, you hear people speaking in Hebrew and calling out and you see groups of 150, 40, you know, just all scattered everywhere and they're calling out and some of the certain sects of the Jews wear a, a dark-rimmed hat so that they can't look up. And, and Mike told us that be aware that some of them will be backing up from the wall. They'll never put their back to the wall and so they'll don't let them bump into you and run into you. All that's going on. and They're reading the Scriptures and they're, they're holding the, the, the Old Testament and they're, they're calling out and, and they're swaying and they're singing and they're touching the wall and, and uh, it's just all encompassing to me with this spiritual moment of I'm crying out to God and, and uh, part of me wanted to the temple's not here the temple's in here the Messiah's already come but I was afraid I might get shot so I didn't, I didn't say that but all that was running in my mind and I thought about this scripture Jesus' his last scene going in before he was crucified and prophesying. and Then we walked in and the men have to wear a hat, a covering. You can wear a baseball cap, but I got one of the yarmulkes they have there and you place it on your head and just all the history running through your mind. And, and then I did, like many do, you get a little piece of paper and you can write down a name or two and press it into the crevice of those rocks. And I think I told you all that I wrote down Gadsden First United Methodist Church family. I wrote down the names of the churches that I pastored. I get emotional thinking about it. Just praying over them. And, and then I wrote down all of our names of our immediate family. I wrote down Lana and Dave and Audra and Madeline and wrote all the names. And many people do that. And, but when I went up there and pressed those into the... And there's just pieces of paper all wadded in there. And they clean those out several times a year and take care of those. But pressed them in, and when I touched that wall, I just tell you, I couldn't help but weep. And I watched some of the other men that was in our group, and some are here, and I watched their eyes, and I don't know, it's just something about it. And Ed Hernandez, y'all's son-in-law from Idaho, and he and I caught a clicked, and we cut up. We both got a goofy sense of humor, and we just enjoyed one another's fellowship. But I, I watched Ed go up and put his hand on the wall, and I and I watched him sob and sob holding on that wall. I'm standing back about 30 feet or so, just taking it all in. And he turned, and me and I, Ed made eye contact. And I, I wanted to say something, but I was speechless, and I, he was the same. We didn't say anything. We just embraced one another and held each other. And uh, a lot of tears as we went to the wailing wall. I want to ask you something in closing. I've said all that to, to, to ask you a couple of questions. As we go back to this scripture where Jesus said that he wept over the city. But Jesus said as he wept over them, you didn't receive the peace that you could have. You missed it. I want to ask you, 
has or does Jesus ever weep over you? And I know He sitteth at the right hand of the Father. I understand all that glory that He's in now. And, but He cares about us. Spiritually, does, does, does Jesus ever weep over you? That you might miss something that you could have had. And, and then He says that because you, you missed the sign of your visitation, you missed that. I want to ask you, do you and I ever miss visitations from Jesus? And I think that we do. I think we miss those times sometimes. We're so self-absorbed. Do you ever miss visitations from Jesus? I opened up with a scripture from Matthew 24 that Jesus talked about the day of the Lord is coming. I'm going to come back, Jesus said. Surely as as I came before, and even when he ascended up, we have that picture back there, I shall come back in like manner. We know he's going to come back. But for me, the most important thing is, I want to ask you, are you ready? Maybe you need a visitation from Jesus this morning. Maybe this morning is your day that you say, Jesus, I hear you and I, I want you in my heart and my life. I don't want to miss out. I invite you to come as we sing a song response. You come and pray for any reason. The altar is always open for anything. But if, if you have that need, Tyler and I would love to pray with you. Our closing hymn, our song of response is, uh, I am thine, O Lord. It is hymn number 419. 419. Let's stand together and sing. This altar is open. Hymn number 419.